The Department of Justice Inspector General releases its long-awaited report on the FBI's handling of the Hillary investigation. We'll break the entire thing down for you, and we'll check the mailbag. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, man, yesterday was a boring news day until it was not. My goodness, a bunch of news just broke in the middle of the afternoon and has continued until the, up through today. And we'll go through all of it in just one second. First, I want to make sure that you know about The Conversations. We're having an episode of The Conversation next week on Tuesday, June 19th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific. All of your questions will be answered by yours truly, Ben Shapiro, with our host, Alicia Krause. Our live Q&A will be available on YouTube and Facebook for everybody to watch, but only subscribers can actually ask me questions over at dailywire.com. Check out the pinned comments on this video for more information about how to do that. So again, subscribe, and you can ask me those live questions Tuesday, June 19th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific. I mean, listen, I'm ruining my afternoon for you guys, so join the conversation and subscribe. <laughs> Make sure you are there. Also, before we begin, I want to talk to you about life insurance. So, sorry to break it to you. If you didn't know about it, you're going to die. And when you do, you want to make sure that you actually have life insurance so that your family is not left impoverished. I mean, the reality is that without your income and without and having to pay for all your funeral expenses, like life insurance is good for a lot of things. If you're a responsible person, you have life insurance for your parents, for your siblings, for your whoever it is that is your immediate family, your life insurance is necessary. And that's why you need PolicyGenius.com. So PolicyGenius is the easy way to compare life insurance online. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It is indeed that simple. In fact, PolicyGenius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance. They have placed over $20 billion in coverage. And it's not just life insurance. They also do disability insurance, renter's insurance, health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. Go check it out right now, policygenius.com. It's never been easier to get life insurance. And if you don't want to think about life insurance, well, good news. Policy Genius takes care of it for you in the blink of an eye. So go check it out, policygenius.com. It's the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Once again, policygenius.com. Go take care of it and be a responsible human being. Okay, speaking of irresponsible human beings, my goodness. So yesterday, the Department of Justice and the Inspector General release a report on the FBI's handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Oh my God. Okay, so as you know, I've been very skeptical about a lot of the conspiracy theories surrounding the last election cycle, about the conspiracy theory that the FBI was targeting President Trump and his campaign during the campaign. I've been very skeptical of that. I've explained why my skepticism. I was saying the evidence was not there to support it. And I was very suspicious that the that all the rumors about the FBI attacking President Trump, this was just being overblown for, for partisan reasons. Well, color me a lot more suspicious today that those rumors are true. Color me a lot more suspicious today that the, that the plan to take down President Trump's campaign may not, in fact, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. I mean, that's basically what I'm garnering from the Department of Justice Inspector General report, because the key finding from this Inspector General report is there were indeed agents at the FBI who were politically motivated to stop President Trump from being president, and they were deeply involved in both the Hillary investigation and the Russia investigation. Now, this particular Inspector General report was not about the Russia investigation. So President Trump said today, for example, that the report proved there was no collusion. It didn't. Okay, that, that is not part of the report. We'll find out whether there was collusion or not. So far, no evidence of collusion. And the whole thing looks like it's going to come up empty. But that, that could be wrong, right? We'll, we'll go where the evidence takes us. But what this report did cover was the FBI's handling of the Hillary investigation. And the key agent in the Hillary investigation was a guy named Peter Strzok, right? You've heard of him because we've talked about him before. Peter Strzok, of course, is the guy who was texting with his live-in lover. He was texting with Lisa Page, his paramour, another FBI agent. They're both married, so they're both just lovely human beings. And they were texting with each other throughout the campaign. And Peter Strzok was very anti-Trump. There were a lot of these texts that came out. But the biggest story that came out from the Inspector General's report is that Peter Strzok was basically texting with his lover that he was going to use his power at the FBI in order to stop President Trump. I mean, it's very difficult to read his text any other way. So let's go through the Inspector General's report. It is 528 pages, that report. I spent a lot of yesterday reading it. I didn't want to give full comment on it on yesterday's show because it broke you know, while the show was, was happening and a little bit afterward. And I really wanted to give the whole thing perusal before I, before I jumped to conclusions about the report. I have now read the report, and um, it's not good for James Comey, the former head of the FBI. It is certainly not good for the FBI as a whole. It's terrible for Peter Strzok. And it's bad for Hillary Clinton as well. It is just not good all the way around. So there are 12 key findings of this, and we're going to go through all of them. When we finish today's show, you are going to know everything you needed to know about the Inspector General report. And you, too, I think, will be a lot more suspicious that the FBI was attempting to do the bidding of the Obama administration, the unspoken bidding of the Obama administration, and stop President Trump from being president. 
And also to, to sort of kowtow to Hillary Clinton. The great irony, by the way, is that the FBI that wanted Hillary Clinton to be president, these, these key players in the FBI that wanted Hillary Clinton to be president, in their attempt to make sure that Hillary Clinton was a quote-unquote legitimate president, they probably prevented her from becoming president. It's, it's really ironic and, and kind of hilarious. So let's jump right in. First of all, FBI agents Lisa Page and Peter Strzok texted openly about stopping Trump. Okay, not just we don't like Trump, not just we think Trump's a schmuck, actually about stopping Trump. So Strzok texted Page that he would stop it, it being Trump's election. So the, the actual texts are, are pretty incredible. The actual texts suggest, let me read it to you, Page text to Strzok, quote, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? This, this is August 2016. And Strzok writes back, no, no, he won't. We'll stop it. Who is we? Who is we? Okay, so people on the left are hanging their hat on maybe we as all the Democrats, all the Democrats are going to rise up and stop it. Yeah, that's plausible. That's plausible. When my wife says, you know, don't tell me no one's going to pick up the kids. And I say, don't worry, I'll stop it. I don't mean like I collectively. I don't mean like the nanny. I mean like I will take care of it, right? We'll stop it sounds like we in our official capacity. And by the way, this is what the Inspector General report found, right? The IG report found that the text, quote, potentially indicated or created the appearance that investigative decisions were impacted by bias or improper considerations. The report added, quote, it is not only indicative of a biased state of mind, but even more seriously implies a willingness to take official action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral prospects. This is antithetical to the core values of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Now, you remember yesterday when we talked about this, this IG report, the main headline coming out from the mainstream media, which we talked about, was that there was no political bias in the FBI targeting President Trump or directed at exonerating Hillary Clinton. But the reality is that's not what the report says. What the report basically says is that they can't find evidence of political bias in the decision-making itself, that the decisions might have been made the same way if there were no political bias. But the report also says that Strzok's text do demonstrate a fair amount of political bias at the FBI. And as we'll see, that political bias played into a wide variety of decisions that happened in the course of the election campaign. And the report found that Hillary, that the Hillary investigation was not adversely impacted by Strzok or Page's decision-making, but this report did not cover the Russia investigation, right? It did not cover whether Strzok and people who thought like him were involved in the Russia investigation and to what extent they decided to pervert the Russia investigation or accelerate the Russia investigation because they did not like President Trump personally. Okay, the second point from the IG report. James Comey concluded that he would let Hillary Clinton off in spring 2016. So you recall, it was not until July that James Comey made his big announcement where he said, Hillary Clinton is guilty, but we're not gonna prosecute her. You remember he made that big announcement. It was a big deal because James Comey is, uh, is an idiot. Okay, well, Comey did not announce that decision until July 2016. According to the report, he had already made the decision in spring of 2016, months earlier, before Hillary Clinton was even interviewed, that Hillary was off the hook. He also determined that he should make an independent announcement in order to protect, quote, a sense of justice more broadly in the country, that things are fair, not fixed, and they're done independently. So he was afraid the DOJ would look bad if they made the announcement exonerating Hillary Clinton. And he thought, well, what if I just step up and I take the hit? And then the FBI looks independent from the DOJ. The DOJ doesn't look like it was in control and everybody's happy, except that wasn't his role. Also worth noting, this is an amazing thing. Okay, so they, they show what the original Comey statement looked like and how it was changed before the final draft. There were major changes made between Comey's original draft of the statement exonerating Hillary Clinton and Comey's final draft of the statement exonerating Hillary Clinton. What were some of those changes? Well, one of the changes was that the original statement mentioned that President Obama himself had been in an email exchange with Hillary Clinton on her private server. His name was removed and that entire piece of information was removed. Why? Of course, to protect President Obama. So the idea that Comey was not a political actor, that of course is ridiculous. And speaking of that statement, the original draft statement also said that Hillary had been grossly negligent, which sounds a lot like law breaking. Instead, that was changed to extremely careless. The statement was changed from reasonably likely that Hillary had been hacked by hostile actors to possible. And finally, again, the original statement mentioned that President Obama had been in an email exchange with Hillary and his name was removed. Okay, fourth point here. Comey is an absolute glory hound. So when President Trump said that James Comey was a glory hound, that he was a publicity hound, that was exactly right. That was exactly right. James Comey loves him some James Comey. And that is absolutely clear from this IG report. So Comey had already concluded before the tarmac meeting between Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton that he was likely to make his own statement on Hillary Clinton. He, quote, acknowledged that he made a conscious decision not to tell department leadership about his plans to make a separate statement because he was concerned they would instruct him not to do it. In other words, he wanted to make a public statement. He was afraid the DOJ would say no. So he just decided not to ask mommy and daddy and just go do it himself in violation of all protocol. 
Again, the idea here was to protect the integrity of the FBI, right? This is really what James Comey was super worried about. The IG's language here is pretty damning. They say, we determined that Comey's decision to make this statement was the result of his belief that only he had the ability to credibly and authoritatively convey the rationale for the decision to not seek charges against Clinton and that he needed to hold the press conference to protect the FBI and the department from the extraordinary harm he believed would have resulted had he failed to do so. While we found no evidence that Comey's statement was the result of bias or an effort to influence the election, we did not find his justifications for issuing the statement to be reasonable or persuasive. And so it's plausible that Comey was not attempting to impact the election when he made that statement or how he made the statement and that he was attempting to protect the FBI, but they did water down the law. Okay, the reality is, and this is the fifth point here, they did water down the law. Okay, the IG, the, the, the Inspector General's report, says that based on precedent, Hillary would have had to have demonstrated a state of mind that was, quote, so gross as to almost suggest deliberate intention. Number one, that is not part of the law. Okay, that is not part of the law. Second of all, this was not Hillary Clinton using a private email account for, for business. Right? This was not that. This was Hillary Clinton specifically setting up a private server at her own home. Okay, That is a lot more technologically advanced than me just having a Gmail account. She set up a private server at her own home to store data. The only reason you do that is because you want to make sure that you can destroy the data afterward. That is legitimately the only reason that you would do that. The only reason you would do that is that it is not on the government servers. That is the only reason. There is no other reason. That is deliberate intention. It's not that you have to have deliberate intention to give the material to a foreign source. You have to have deliberate intention to not treat classified material property. And she obviously had that intention, but they changed the law to exonerate her. Okay, sixth point. And this one is just amazing. This is amazing. So the IG report found that the Anthony Weider case agent had spotted Hillary's emails on September 26th, 2016. And he informed the New York field office on September 28th. So in other words, by late September, the FBI already knew that new Hillary emails were on Anthony Weiner's computer. So why did it take until October 28th for them to actually investigate that information? This one is a stunner. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. First, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Software Advice. So here's the reality. Your computer, your, your company right now probably is not doing its best work with regards to the software you have. You probably do not have the best software because you haven't thought about updating it in a really long time and it seems like it's going to be a pain in the butt and you don't know anything about software. You have no idea what kind of software your company actually needs. Well, this is why you need to go to softwareadvice.com. Okay, their team of advisors can point you in the right direction so you can start working more effectively right away. You have to be up on the latest technology. Softwareadvice.com slash Ben lets you do that. You answer a few short questions about your business. You'll be connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. And talking to an advisor takes just 10 minutes or less. It doesn't matter whether you're a medical professional or a construction manager or you work at the Daily Wire. Software advice will save you time and help you make a more informed decision. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're working solo, again, you can't afford to be using outdated technology. It wastes time and it wastes effort. Instead, go get the best software advice with softwareadvice.com. These experts are ready to be your on-call go-to team to help you figure out business software in minutes for free. Check them out. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Ben to get started. That's softwareadvice.com slash Ben to get started, to connect with an advisor for free today. Softwareadvice.com slash Ben. Then you can connect for free and check it out and use the slash Ben to let them know we sent you again, softwareadvice.com. Alrighty, so why exactly was it that between September 26th and October 28th, the FBI did nothing about the fact that Hillary Clinton's emails were on Anthony Weiner's computer. Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe knew about it the same day that they found out about it in September. He then mentioned it directly to James Comey, and nobody mentioned it again for nearly a full month just prior to the election. The report says, quote, we found that by no later than September 29th, FBI executives and the FBI mid-year team had learned virtually every fact that was cited by the FBI in late October as justification for obtaining the search warrant for the Weiner laptop. Comey hilariously said he didn't realize that Anthony Weiner was married to Huma Abedin. So the head of the FBI did not know about one of the most famous and, and under-assault marriages in the history of the United States, Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin. He's the most ignorant person in the world, and he runs the damn FBI. Okay, and then it gets even better. So why is it that they waited a month? It turns out they waited a month because they had, it turns out, varying priorities. They weren't focused on Hillary Clinton's emails at that point. Why weren't they focused on Hillary Clinton's emails at that point? Because there were other things they were focused on. Well, what were some of those other things? According to the IG report, the FBI was focused on a Comey speech that would fight back against public perception of his July 5th announcement. And they were focused on the Russia investigation. The IG report says, quote, Moreover, given the FBI's extensive resources, the fact that Strzok and several other FBI members of the Midyear team, Midyear was the name of the investigation into Hillary's emails, 
the fact that Strzok and several other FBI members of the mid-year team had been assigned to the Russia investigation, which was extremely active during the September and October time period, was not an excuse for failing to take any action during this time period on the Wiener laptop. In assessing the decision to prioritize the Russia investigation over following up on the mid-year related investigative lead discovered on the Wiener laptop, we were particularly concerned about the text messages sent by Strzok and Page that potentially indicated or created the appearance that investigative decisions they made were impacted by bias or improper considerations. Most of the text message raising, messages raising such considerations pertain to the Russia investigation, and the implication in some of those messages, particularly Strzok's August 8th text message, will stop candidate Trump from being elected, was that Strzok might be willing to take official action to impact a presidential candidate's electoral prospects. Under these circumstances, we did not have confidence that Strzok's decision to prioritize the Russia investigation over following up on the media-related investigative lead discovered on the Wiener laptop was free from bias. In simpler terms, the IG there is saying, Peter Strzok might have been biased against President Trump to the extent that he was so focused on the Russia investigation, he decided to ignore Hillary's emails. And then by the time they decided not to ignore Hillary's emails, it was October 28th. So the great irony of that is that his focus on the Trump investigation, because he hated Trump, and his non-focus on Hillary, because he liked Hillary, led him to leave Hillary alone until right before the election. And then Comey ended up blowing up Hillary's campaign in the last week of the election. So the, the irony is just amazing. These people were playing God and they failed dramatically. So I'll talk a little bit more about this in just a second. So here is, here is what that means. Okay? Here, here's what's so incredible about, about this. What we just found out, right? what we're finding out right now, according to the IG, Peter Strzok was texting that he would stop Trump from being president. Peter Strzok may very well have made Donald Trump president. How? Because Peter Strzok was in charge of the investigation into Hillary's emails. He was a high-ranking member of that investigation. He found out in late September that he was going to, that, that there were more Hillary emails on the computer, on the Anthony Weiner computer. He did nothing about it for a full month because he figured it was no big deal. But you know, it was a big deal, Russiagate. And so he was spending all of his time investigating Russiagate. And then near the end of the election cycle, finally, James Comey takes a look at this and he goes, oh, well, this is kind of bad. Probably I should say something about it. Now, here is the part that's amazing. So point eight, you know, we've been going through the 12 points of this, of this IG report that are really vital to know. Point eight, Comey then revealed that the, re, the reopening of the investigation had to happen. He, he revealed that to Congress because he thought that Hillary was going to win and he wanted to preserve her legitimacy. So again, the irony here is stunning, right? Strzok holds off on the Hillary investigation because he's more focused on Trump because he wants to get Trump. And then Comey finds out about it. And because he thinks Hillary is going to win, he comes forward with the letter. So in other words, if he thought Hillary was going to lose, he wouldn't have come forward with the letter. He wouldn't have gone out on October 28th and said that Hillary's investigation had been reopened. If the election had been dead even at that point, which it was not, right? If, if, if she had not had a poll lead, then he would have held off on it. But knowing that Hillary had a poll lead, figuring she would win and wanting to legitimize Hillary Clinton, James Comey came forward with the letter to Congress at that point, And that blew her up. Right, she had a poll lead at that point. The poll lead disappeared. She ends up losing the election. Here's what the report explicitly says. Quote, we found that Comey's decision was the result of several interrelated factors that were connected to his concern that failing to send the letter would harm the FBI and his ability to lead it and his view that candidate Clinton was going to win the presidency and that she'd be perceived to be an illegitimate president if the public first learned of the information after the election. So in other words, he thought Hillary was going to win and he wanted to make her feel good. He wanted her to feel legitimate. And so he decided to release the letter and then she lost which is hilarious. Okay, that's awesome and hilarious. Okay, ninth point to know about this IG report. Five separate agents who were working on these cases sent pro-Clinton anti-Trump texts, many of which implied using official authority to target President Trump. Okay, it turns out that not only did five agents discuss their support for Clinton, they, quote, appeared to mix political opinions with discussions about the mid-year investigation. One agent texted, quote, no one is going to prosecute Hillary Clinton even if we find unique classified material after the discovery of Anthony Weiner's laptop. Lisa Page texted about the possibility of interviewing Clinton with fewer agents in the room since, quote, she might be our next president, to which Strzok agreed. Page texted Strzok, quote, maybe you're meant to stay where you are because you're meant to protect the country from that menace, meaning Trump, to which Strzok responded, quote, I'll try and approach it that way. I can protect our country at many levels. Not sure if that helps. Strzok texted Page, we'll stop it, the it being Trump's election. Strzok texted Page about an insurance policy against a Trump victory, then excused it by saying that he was just pushing for a quicker investigation. Another FBI attorney, who we don't know yet, texted Viva la Resistance after the election. After the election, Strzok texted regarding the special counsel investigation. He's asked to be part of the Mueller investigation. Quote, for me and this case, I personally have a sense of unfinished business. And none of this 
speaks of an FBI that is interested in law enforcement. It speaks of a bunch of members of the FBI who really are not. Now, does that mean that every decision the FBI made here was politically corrupt? No, but it does mean that we ought to look at every single thing that Strzok had an impact on in terms of decision making. We should be looking at every single thing these other agents had an impact on in terms of decision making. Now, there are a couple of ironic points that are, that are worth noting here, too. It turns out that Comey, Strzok, and Page all used personal email to conduct FBI business. That's illegal. It's a violation of procedure. Maybe the reason they decided to let Hillary Clinton off the hook is because they were all doing something similar to what Hillary Clinton was doing. In, in an unrelated but damning point, this is amazing, too. According to the IG report, quote, we identified numerous FBI employees at all levels of the organization and with no official reason to be in contact with the media who are nevertheless in frequent contact with reporters. FBI agents received benefits from reporters as well, including golf outings, drinks, and meals. So when President Trump said this place has a lot of leaks, he wasn't lying. And there are tons and tons of leaks from the so-called deep state, right, from people who work in the FBI. And they were basically being bribed by journalists. Okay, final point here. The former attorney assistant, assistant attorney general, a guy named Peter Kadzik, he should have recused himself, according to the IG. While Hillary was under investigation, this former assistant attorney general tried to get his son a job on Hillary's campaign and sent an email to John Podesta, head of the Clinton campaign, which included the schedule of the release of Clinton's emails in, in FOIA, right, Freedom of Information Act litigation. So that's a lot to unpack in the IG report, but the takeaways are pretty simple. There were agents of the FBI who hated Trump and wanted to stop Trump, and there were a lot of decision, the decisions that were made that were made on a political basis in an area where they should not have been. Okay, so in a second, I want to talk about all of the, in, in a second, I'm going to talk about um, all of the reaction to all of this. First, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Zeal. So, you know, it's a stressful period for us all, right? It's a stressful time for us all, but that is why you need a massage. And this is what Zeal does better than anyone. So Zeal can bring a massage to your door, the entire thing, right? The massage table, the oils, the scented candles, the music, the whole thing. They bring it right to you. And when they bring it right to you, your life becomes better because you don't have to go to the spa and wait around. You don't have to pre-schedule an appointment. And it is not that expensive. Zeal is just great. I've, I've gotten it for my wife. I've gotten it for my mom. I've gotten it for my dad. I've gotten it for my mother-in-law. I've gotten it for my sister. Like it, It's a great present. It's a really good Father's Day gift as well, by the way. If you're looking for something to get your dad for Father's Day, the massage at his house is a pretty great thing. All you have to do is go to zeal.com or on Zeal's iPhone or Android app. That's Z-E-E-L.com. And you can select from the top local licensed pre-screened massage therapist. And you choose your favorite technique, gender preference, time, and location for the massage. Zeal sends over one of their 10,000 licensed massage therapists with all of the materials, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Zeal Massage Therapist can be at your door in as little as an hour. Go check it out right now. To help you get started, our listeners get 25 bucks off their first massage with promo code Ben. That's Z-E-E-L.com, promo code Ben, Zeal, promo code Ben. Right now, go to zeal.com again and enter promo code Ben to get 25 bucks off your first in-home massage. It's just awesome. It's one of those things that makes you feel wealthy without actually having to break the bank. Zeal.com, promo code Ben. Go check it out and get that special deal, 25 bucks off. All right, so with all of that said, from the Inspector General report, the blowback has been enormous, right? The blowback has been very strong. So President Trump this morning, he had a bunch of tweets on the IG report. He waited all day yesterday uh, and did not tweet about it. And that's how you knew that it was going to be lit when President Trump decided that he was going to go on, on Twitter and go after it. Uh, so he he really, start, he started tweeting up a storm this morning. He tweeted out, FBI agent Peter Strzok, who headed the Clinton and Russia investigations, texted to his lover Lisa Page in the IG report that will stop candidate Trump from becoming president doesn't get any lower than that. True. He says the IG report is a total disaster for Comey, his minions, and sadly the FBI. Comey will now officially go down as the worst leader by far in the history of the FBI. Well, there have been some bad his leaders in the history of the FBI, but he will be one of the worst, certainly. I did a great service to the people in firing him. True. Good instinct. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love the president Trump pats himself on the back. Christopher Ray will proudly bring it back. Well, we'll talk about Chris Ray in just a second. We'll talk about Chris Ray in, in just in the head of the FBI and whether he actually is going to bring back the FBI. But President Trump then this morning decided, you know what? Fox and Friends is down on the lawn. My friends over at Fox and Friends, yeah, great show, I'm on it. Uh, they, he, they're over on the lawn. They're on the White House lawn. What if I just pop on down there and just go and talk to my friends? So that's exactly what he did. He popped down there and he said a few things. So he uh, he really went after uh, uh, he really went after the FBI, which I think is, is pretty much appropriate. I said on the Department of Justice, I would stay uninvolved. Now, I may get involved at right. some point if it gets worse. I say I'm staying uninvolved. I'm letting this report go through. I did nothing wrong. There was no collusion. There yep. was no obstruction. But Okay, so uh, President Trump says that he's going to let the report say what it says. When he says there was no collusion, there was no obstruction, that's not in the report. So he, he actually said that the report exonerated him of obstruction. That, that's not actually true. Uh, now, 
It is true that I don't think he obstructed. I don't think that there was collusion either, but that's not what this report says. So just to be perfectly exact and objective about this 528-page report, there's nothing in there about the Russia investigation per se. But he is not wrong when he rips into the FBI, clearly. Now, what's hilarious is that the Democrats are suggesting that all of this is uh, all of this was actually the FBI attempting to help President Trump. Now, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, she came out yesterday and she said that all of this reaffirms President Trump's suspicions about the FBI, and she is not wrong. The president was briefed on the IG report earlier today, and it reaffirmed the president's suspicions about Comey's conduct and the political bias among some of the members of the FBI. Okay, and that there is totally fair. Then the Democrats get involved. So Chuck Schumer says, really what the IG report shows is that Hillary Clinton lost the election because of political bias. Well, if you, if you really believe that Comey lost the election for her at the very end, she didn't lose it because Comey didn't like Hillary Clinton. It turns out that she lost it because Comey liked her too much. And that's the hysterical part, right? Comey had a little dove in his hand and that dove was the Hillary Clinton campaign. And he was trying to guard it and keep it and pet it and be friendly to it because he knew that one day that dove would fly free and become president. And he wanted that dove to have the strongest wings possible. And so while he was petting it, he just sort of, he just sort of squished it. And then the campaign was dead. He sort of ripped the head off the pigeon there, James Comey by accident. But the Democrats are taking this report in the stupidest possible way, which is they're saying, no, what this shows is the FBI was biased against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, sure. It was Trump who benefited from all these mistakes. So it hardly reflects deep state or bias against him. At the end of the day, the actions reviewed in this report helped Donald Trump win the election, not the other way around. Okay, th- yes, by accident, by accident. That's the great hilarious irony of all of this. The FBI agents like Strzok were so desperate to stop Trump, they actually made him president. Okay, that's the part that's really hilarious in, in all of this. And it really is really, it's really freaking funny. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. Now, what is not so funny is the fact that this is really bad for the FBI and the DOJ, right? These are institutions that we ought to trust as Americans, but we already knew that the DOJ had become an Obama tool while Obama was president of the United States. And the FBI, I'm not particularly surprised that all of this is coming out. The Hillary investigation was obviously a botchery from the very beginning, uh, and it was botched all the way through. And political bias, obviously, you know, in my opinion, played a part, even though the inspector general found that it was, it was plausible how they treated the investigation. Uh, to, to say that no political bias came into play, it's like when people say that there's no political bias at university campuses because people aren't overtly discriminating against conservatives. It's like, well, yeah, but why is it that every time something bad happens, it's to a conservative? Well, in this particular election cycle, everything that the FBI did that was that was bad for someone on purpose was directed at President Trump and everything good that was directed at someone on purpose was Hillary Clinton, except for that last letter, which, again, it turns out Comey was trying to do something good for Hillary Clinton. He's just an idiot. Right, the, the stupidity of our public officials cannot be overstated. It is extraordinary. So, so Comey tweeted about it. Uh, Comey then tweeted that he was happy with the IG report. He said, I respect the DOJ IG office, which is why I urge them to do this review. The conclusions are reasonable, even though I disagree with some. People of good faith can see an unprecedented situation differently. I pray no director faces it again. Thanks to the IG's people for hard work. Okay, well, uh, yeah, the, they said you're self-aggrandizing idiot who basically destroyed the election cycle. So, yeah, I, I think that you should probably sit down now. And then Hillary Clinton got involved. She then tweeted out this. She tweeted out, but my emails. Okay, because Kyle Cheney, who's a reporter, he tweeted out that the IG found that Comey had used a personal Gmail account to conduct official U.S. Bu- FBI business. And then she wrote, but my emails. So a couple of things about but my emails. Yes, your emails. You've made a private server and then you stored all this classified information on the private server. Yes, your emails. The whole point of the IG ripping into Comey is that Comey did something wrong too. But Hillary Clinton, it's everybody else's fault that Hillary Clinton lost the most winnable election in American history. Obviously, it, the only person to blame is, uh, is James Comey. So that's pretty extraordinary. In just a second, I'll get to the FBI's response to all that. First, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at ExpressVPN. So With all this news nowadays about how your personal information is being exposed online, every time you go to a public Wi-Fi, you're at risk of exposing your personal information. And you've got all of these companies that are tracking all of your information, the Comcast and the Verizons and the Time Warners. Well, this is why you ought to be taking back your privacy with a VPN. You ought to use ExpressVPN. My internet data is encrypted. My IP address is hidden. That's why I use ExpressVPN. It runs in the background of my computer. And it costs less than seven bucks a month. It is the number one rated VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of expert reviewers. ExpressVPN has these easy to use apps. It takes five seconds to set it up. I mean, it's really quick to set it up. And, and then you turn it on and you just leave it on in the background of your computer or your phone. And you don't have to worry about people hacking your information again or, gra- or grabbing your information. You want to make sure that 
Hackers and spies can't see your data. ExpressVPN is for you. So go to expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash Ben. You get three months for free when you get a one-year package, which is a pretty awesome deal. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, you're putting yourself at risk. Don't be an idiot. Go get ExpressVPN today. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben, and you get your first three months for free with a one-year package. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Ben. So go check that out. Okay, so I want to talk about the FBI's response to all of this. But first, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So for $9.99 a month, you get the rest of the show for uh, you get the rest of this show live. You also get to be part of the mailbag, which we are doing today. So you can ask me all your questions. And next week, when we do the conversation, you get to be part of that mailbag as well. So you can ask questions live, and I will answer them next Tuesday uh, because we are doing an episode of the conversation. It's, it, plus, let me just be frank. Your subscriptions help us bring the show to you, right? If you don't subscribe, it's hard for us to bring the show to you. We got to make our money. So you got you to subscribe. That's just the way that it works. And when you get the annual subscription, you also get this. The very greatest in leftist tiers, hot or cold tumblers. It is just phenomenal. You will love it. it. It was pretty great. Yesterday I spoke in Dallas, and there were probably two dozen people who came up with, tum- with tumblers who are subscribers. So become one of those people because it is awesome. Check that out for $99 a year. Also, The Ben Shapiro Show is now available on Amazon Alexa and Google Home. So if you have a virtual assistant, you can listen to my podcast with a simple voice command after you enable the skill on Alexa or ask Google to talk to the show. For more information, just go check out our pinned tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Plus, subscribe at YouTube, subscribe at iTunes, because that way you also are automatically going to get our brand new Sunday special. We have a brand new Sunday special coming out. This one is with Michael Shermer, the editor of Skeptic Magazine. He is an atheist. I'm a religious person. And we go at it over religion and free will and God and all the big issues of life. So check that out as well. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. All righty. So the FBI response to all of this has, has been lackluster at best. And it's been particularly lackluster because let's let's make one thing very clear. There's one huge question that has yet to be answered by the DOJ or the FBI. That really crucial text that struck sent to page, the one that says, we'll stop it, meaning we'll stop the Trump campaign, that was not handed over to Congress. It was only handed over to the inspector general. Why didn't Congress have a right to take a look at that? Why did we not know about that? You want to make something look conspiratorial? Cover it up. Don't hand it over to the American people. Don't hand it over to our elected representatives. Hand it over to the IG instead. That's really suspicious stuff. So anyway, Christopher Wray is the new head of the FBI. He's Trump's head of the FBI. And he gives a presser in which he talks about the future of the FBI. Suffice it to say, I, uh, I, I am not sanguine about the future of the FBI. We accept the findings uh, of the report and the recommendations. We've done a number of things on that regard. First, we issued a new media policy that's much stricter and much more clear than what had been in place before. Uh, Second, we're going to be doing intensive training uh, on exactly those issues, things like the one that you alluded to, that includes contacts with the media. Third, we're going to make painfully clear to everybody that we won't tolerate noncompliance. And then last, I've asked uh, ROPR to take a hard look at whether or not they think the penalties that exist right now are sufficient to deal with that kind of conduct. Oh, okay, good. So we're going to heighten the penalties and education, re-education people. It's just like when Starbucks is caught in the middle of a bias situation. They're now going to shut down the barista, shut down the FBI. We're going to re-educate people. They shouldn't leak to the media and be politically biased. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. We'll see how we'll see how that works for you. Uh, I, I, am, I am not particularly enthused by the response that we have seen here from Christopher Ray. It's just not, it's just a big nothing burger full of nothing. Uh, And then um, my favorite part is that Chris Ray came out and he said that nothing in the report impugns the integrity of the FBI or the workforce. You mean aside from that part where it said that half the FBI agents are being bribed by journalists to talk to them? Or are you talking about the part where five different FBI agents were texting to each other about how much they hate Trump and wish that he would die, basically? Uh, which, Which part of that didn't impugn the FBI exactly? Here's Chris Ray. Nothing, nothing in this report impugns the integrity of our workforce as a whole or the FBI as an institution. Oh, oh, is that it? Okay, well, I guess then I guess that solves everything. I mean, if I'd only known that Chris Ray was going to respond this way, I, guess, I feel so much better about everything now that Chris Ray has intervened. Um, look, what we have here is a typical government agency. I don't want to suggest that there's a giant conspiracy going on, that there are a bunch of agents in a room together deciding how do we stop Trump or anything like that. What you have here is a soft bias that manifests itself in particular decision making. And this was true with the IRS when when Obama was president. It is true with regard to Hollywood, for example. It's why all of Hollywood's material is left, because you have a bunch of people who agree on stuff. And it's an echo chamber. And this impacts decision making. Political bias does not actually have to 
manifest itself in obvious political decision making. Sometimes it manifests itself in bias in action that is eminently obvious to anyone who's observing. So when you look at the media and it turns out that every story they get wrong is anti-Trump, maybe they're not getting the stories wrong on purpose many, many of these times. But you have to start saying, well, maybe the reason they're getting these stories wrong all the time about Trump, but they never got a story wrong about Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, or at least not nearly as often. Maybe the reason is because they like Hillary and they liked Obama. And so even unconsciously, they're more likely to believe things that are bad about Trump than they are likely to believe things that are bad about Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. Right. I think the same sort of tact, I think the same sort of logic plays into what the FBI was doing here. You have a ton of FBI agents who hated Trump uh, and who were in top positions and saw stopping Trump as a priority. Does that mean that there was an actual plan that was snapped into place at the first available opportunity? We don't know. Maybe there was. I mean, we'll find out when the when the inspector general report comes out on the Russia investigation, presumably. But was there a motive? Sure. And was there an opportunity? Sure. And was there a means? Turns out, yes, they just botched the job. Okay, if it wasn't, if it was a hit on Trump, it was an attempted hit because obviously it didn't succeed. It's a damning report. It's a damning report. And uh, the FBI is going to need a thorough cleaning from top to bottom. But I'm not sure how you clean any major agency is the truth. And unless you set up a bunch of checks and balances eternal, internally, I'm not sure. Maybe you have somebody whose sole job it is to check all of the agents' text messages to make sure that they're not using their, their phones for this sort of, of communication. Um, whatever it is, something has to be done to check and balance this branch of government because it's just out of control. It's really out of control. Okay, time for the mailbag. And then I have a lot of things I like and a lot of things that I hate today. So we have a lot left to do in the show. So mailbag it up. Chris says, Ben, I was having a conversation with one of my good friends recently, and he said that he agrees with affirmative action. He's a traditional liberal meets a libertarian, not left or leftist. He agrees with affirmative action, though he's Korean, because he said data suggests that without affirmative action, most colleges would be predominantly white and then folks of color, even with comparable or better scores, wouldn't get in. What would be your response to this argument? Uh, Well, that argument is completely wrong. Okay, the fact is that without affirmative action, it is possible that a disproportionate number of people would be white. Most likely a disproportionate number of people would be Asian. But that is not because of inherent discrimination in the system. It's because on the average, black students who are applying to college have lower scores than white students or Asian students who are applying to college. I mean, that's not racism. That's just a fact. And so when you just take the objective measures, the people with higher scores tend to not be members of certain minority groups. Now, that doesn't explain why that happens. That's something we have to try and cure. But the solution is not to say that people who are unqualified for a particular college should go to that college over other people. This is particularly true with regard to Asians. So this is the amazing thing. Your friend, you say your friend is Korean, Chris. Well, Let me point out, there's a report today in the New York Times, Harvard rated Asian American applicants lower on personality traits, lawsuit says, quote, Harvard consistently rated Asian American applicants lower than any other race on personal traits like positive personality, likability, courage, kindness, and being widely respected, according to an analysis of more than 160,000 student records filed Friday in federal court in Boston by a group representing Asian American students in a lawsuit against the universities. American, uh, Asian Americans scored higher than applicants of any other racial or ethnic group on admissions measures like test scores, grades, and extracurricular activities, according to analysis commissioned by a group that opposes all race-based admissions criteria. But the students' personal ratings significantly dragged down their chances of being admitted, the analysis found. This is institutional discrimination. This is institutional racism. Because what happened here is a bunch of admissions officers said too many Asians are getting in, so instead we'll just say they're not personable or they're not, they don't have leadership qualities, they're not likable. So basically, we'll, in order to achieve our perfect ethnic blend, in order to achieve the light roast ethnic blend, in order to do that, all we have to do really is put the right ingredients in. And we can't have too many of these Asians, right? These Asians, you know, if we have too many Asians, then the campus becomes too Asian. And the best way to stop that is we'll just say that Asians are schmucks. I mean, that's really what this lawsuit says. It turns out that the suspicions of Asian American alumni, students, and applicants were right all along, says the group Students for Fair Admissions. Harvard today engages in the same kind of discrimination and stereotyping it used to justify quotas on Jewish applicants in the 1920s and 1930s. Harvard's own researchers cited a bias against Asian American applicants in a series of internal reports in 2013, but Harvard ignored the findings, the court paper said, and never publicly released them. Okay, so you probably ought to tell your friend that it's not white people who are or the beneficiaries of lack of affirmative action, it's it's Asian people. And beyond that, again, colleges are discriminating in favor of particular races and against other races in affirmative action. They're not doing so in the absence of affirmative action. Brian says, hey, Ben, back during the Obama administration, you talked about the President Obama not giving legitimacy to ISIS by calling them JV and refusing to call the radical Islamic terrorists. The result was ISIS gained power, destabilized the region, and killed a lot more people. How is President Trump supposed to solve the problem with North Korea without legitimizing and buttering up Kim Jong-un? After all, the worst thing to do during a negotiation is humiliate the other party. Thanks. Well, 
I don't think that he has to humiliate the other party during the negotiation. This is why I don't think the president should be directly involved in the negotiation. So I'll give you an example. Today, the president of the United States was asked about the situation in North Korea, and he said a couple of things that are not really great, right? So he, he said this, this is clip 17. He's the head of a country, and I mean, he is the strong head. Mm -hmm. Don't let anyone think anything different. Right. He speaks and his people sit up at attention. I want my people to do the right. same. Okay, so he wants, he wants his own staffers to act like Kim Jong-un's staffers. Is that necessary to prevent war? So President Trump says yes. Now, President Trump's case is that you have to flatter Kim into not nuking us, right? He actually said this, right? So here is, here is clip 19. In the same breath, you're defending now Kim Jong-un's human rights records. How can you do that? You know why? Because I don't want to see a nuclear weapon destroy you and your family. Well, okay, that's, a, that, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. Kim Jong-un is not going to nuke the United States because Donald Trump doesn't call him a good guy. Okay, for 30 years, we've been calling him a bad guy. We've not gotten a nuke up the tailpipe from, from Kim Jong-un. You know why? Because the real reason Kim Jong-un is not attacking us is because we will wipe him out. He will be vaporized within 10 seconds of firing a missile at the United States. I mean, it's not just that we have military superiority over the North Koreans. Okay, we could wipe them literally in three hours. That war would be over. Three hours. Okay, not three days, not three weeks. It took us three weeks to take out Saddam Hussein. It took us three hours to finish off the North Korean regime if they decided to go to war with us. Okay, that's why they're not going to nuke us. Not because President Trump decides to be nice. Now, the reason I say this is because Ronald Reagan did not stop talking about how the Soviet Union was a human rights violator in the middle of negotiations with the Soviet Union. He was saying, you guys are human rights violators. You're a terrible country. We're going to try to come to a deal with you anyway for, in the interest of mutual security. But you do embolden bad guys when you say to them that they are wonderful and nice. I've never seen a situation ever in a negotiation where you flatter someone into doing something, into doing what you want. Not in the international sphere anyway. Maybe it works in personal relationships. It doesn't, Kim Jong-un is not going to disarm because Trump is nice to him. It's not gonna happen. Countries have interests. Those interests do not change just because President Trump is, is being very nice to Kim Jong-un right now. The worst thing to do during a negotiation is not to humiliate the other party. The worst thing to do during a negotiation is to flatter the other party and to flatter yourself into believing that the other party is credible when it is not. The worst negotiation of all time was Munich. The worst negotiation, you'd have to name me a negotiation that failed because one party was humiliated. That's, and that's really not how negotiations fail typically. Now, Austin says, Ben, I'm a huge fan of the show. I live in the Democratic state of California within the warm Republican Orange County bubble. I know you live in LA. I wanted to know your thoughts on the possible positive and negative effects of the California three-way split on the November ballot. So first of all, um, it's not gonna happen because in order for California to become three states, that has to be approved by, cons it has to be approved by I believe, two-thirds of the states. That's never going to happen. It would add another four Democratic senators because just the way the demographics break down, the Northern California would be Democrat, Central California would be Democrat, and kind of the and Southern California would be Democrat. Uh, so I, I think that it is it, it's foolish politically. But the answer to to the failures of California state government is that it should be smaller and we should devolve more authority back to localities. Colt says, out of all the founding fathers, is there one you look up to the most or have a deeper respect for than the others? If so, would love to hear your thoughts. I am a big Adams fan. Uh, I love John Adams' writing. Uh, the debate between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson over the nature of government and the extent of government uh, is, is some of the most intelligent writing ever done. Go buy a copy of Adams and Jefferson's letters to one another if you want to read some of the most brilliant writing ever done. I mean, it's amazing. You have two greatest, you know, greatest minds of the millennia, probably, you know, sitting there talking to one another and you actually get a window into their mind. It's pretty amazing. I'm also pretty fond of James Madison as well, uh, for obvious reasons. Wesley says, hi, Ben. I was wondering what you thought about space travel and if you think NASA should be involved in a future trip to Mars. Should this be the goal for the federal government or should it be left entirely to private companies like SpaceX? Well, I'm not averse to private companies taking the lead on all of this. It depends on whether you think that a future trip to Mars is a security consideration, whether it actually benefits the United States to get to Mars first. Um, I would say probably yes. I, I think that it benefited the United States to have sovereignty over the moon, basically. I think that, that there are other countries that are going to attempt to do that and leaving it up to private industry to exploit the, the resources of Mars. It, it seems like we'd be better off having a sort of collective control, at least in terms of American government, at the outset over, over Mars because otherwise it could turn into a, a corporate competition. Um, but... I, I see arguments the other way as well. I'm, I'm kind of torn on it, honestly, on a spur-of-the-moment basis. Zachary says, Regretfully, I missed the Father's Day podcast. When I realized I missed it, I frantically tried to log on to ask the following question. I'm 23 years old. A few weeks ago, my father, who has a history of drunkenness, got drunk and fought my 18-year-old brother. The situation ended up with him holding a gun to my mom and him spending the weekend in jail. In the past, we have fought, we have fought 
And this isn't the first time there have been domestic issues, although it is the first time that has involved a gun. After speaking with him after he got out of jail, he seemingly tries to deflect and shift the blame onto my mom and little brother. I could try to forgive him if he would hold himself accountable for his actions, but it doesn't seem like he is going to. As a result, he and I haven't spoken for close to a month. Usually we talk two to three times a week. What do I do? I find that I feel incapable of forgiving him unless he expects responsibility. Should I forgive him because it is the right thing to do? Well, no. No. I mean, you don't forgive people unless they want to be forgiven. It is not your job to forgive some. Like, in your own heart, you can understand his flaws, right, so that you can live with yourself. But you do not have to go out of the way to pretend that he's asked for forgiveness when he has not or to grant him repentance when he has not. Right? The, the, the Jewish version of repentance requires actual repentance, right? You are supposed to repent. Now, I'll speak from the Jewish point of view because I'm more familiar with it than the Christian point of view. Christianity obviously has a, a whole different philosophy with regard to repentance and Jesus repenting for your sins whether you wanted him to or not. But Judaism suggests that you must do individual, individual repentance several times a day, right? We, we actually have a paragraph in what we call the Shemona Esrei in which we repent at least three times a day, uh, which is a lot of repenting, right? <laughs> but human beings do a lot of sinning. In order for you to be forgiven, you have to repent. In order for, your dad to for, in order for you to forgive your dad in, in the sense that you're going to grant him added credibility again, he's going to need to do some real teshuva is the word in, in Hebrew. Now, Bobby says, hey, Ben, I'm having my first child in August. He's going to be a boy. Well, congratulations. That is awesome sauce. My wife and I have heard from many parents we should buy the child a tablet to watch shows and play games on the go. My question is, what's a good way to expose the child to technology without it being a babysitter or a replacement for social interaction? I'm afraid to let my child even have interaction with them while they're young. But on the opposite side of that, I don't want him to be behind on the tech side. Thanks, Bobby. First of all, um, and he says he thinks he's going to name him Benjamin. Well, thank you. I mean, I assume that's after me and not after Franklin, but I'll take it anyway. Uh, in any case, uh, children under the age of two, this is what the social science suggests, should not be using electronics of any sort. They, they, they can use, you know, the, the toys that you hit in that electronically respond. They shouldn't have tablet time or screen time. Uh, our son did not watch TV until he was two. Uh, TV acts like a drug. I mean, you can, you can see it with kids. When you read to them, they're active and they're involved. When they watch TV, very often they just zone out uh, and it acts like a parent. And even with older kids, you have to have that in mind. So our, our daughter, we restrict the amount of TV that she can watch very regularly. That doesn't mean that we're responsible all the time, right? There are times when we have to do something and it's like, okay, we don't have time for you right now. Sit in front of the TV, right? <laughs> Just like every other parent, we have our, we have our, our wrong moments. But that doesn't mean that, that you should make it a regular part of, of their watching lives. That said, I think the TV can be wonderful. I think that, that technology can be wonderful. Kids are adept at figuring this stuff out. If you don't teach your four-year-old how to use a tablet... When the kid's seven, he'll, use, he'll learn how to use a tablet. That's just the way that it works. My two-year-old son is already learning how to manipulate my phone. Now, David says, Dear Ben, from your perspective, how well do you think human intellect can understand God? The ancient Greeks seemed to believe human intellect was the key to understanding God. If God is beyond understanding intellectual tools, what other tools can be used to understand God and God's will? So I'm writing an entire book about this right now, David. And my view of this is that, the, is that it is our job to use reason to try and understand the universe that God built in order to understand God's logic, right? I believe in the sort of Greek teleology that the universe was designed with certain purposes in mind and that it's our job to try and find those purposes. That said, God operates from a different plane. So trying to understand the, the mind of God completely uh, is, is never going to happen. I think that the most beautiful exposition of this happens uh, in the book of Exodus when, when Moses asks to see God's face. Uh, and what the commentators explain is that when Moses asks to see God's face, what he's really asking is, can I understand the universe? And God says, you can't look at my face. If you look at my face, then you will die. Um, but I will let you see my back, right? And he puts Moses in a cleft in the rock, and then he goes by Moses, right? All of this is, is anthropomorphic just because human beings can't understand completely spiritual imagery. And the and my, my dad has a very nice kind of what we call Dvar Torah on this. He has a very nice sort of exp exposition on what this means. What he says is that people that you know, right, people that you love and that you know, you can recognize them from behind, right? If I saw my wife, I could recognize her from behind. If I saw my kids, I could recognize them from behind. But I can't tell what's on their faces. I don't know what they're thinking because I can't see what's on their face. But I certainly can tell that they are there. And that's, I think, what the intellect can comprehend. The intellect can comprehend that God is there. We can see sort of shadows of what God wants from us. Through revelation, I think we can see more than shadows. But just through pure intellect, through pure reason, I think that we can gather a couple of things. I think that we can gather you know, the idea that there is a God. I think there are good arguments for a God. Uh, the idea that there is a God who is the creator of heaven and earth. I think that we can pick up on, on certain interactions between man and man that don't, that, that don't even require belief in God necessarily to logic yourself out to. But as far as understanding what God wants from us, uh, I think that, that that's only going to take you so far. I think that you can, you can get to the Aristotelian logic of God wants us to use reason. God wants us to act in accordance with re right reason, uh, which amounts to virtue. Uh, but that is uh, relatively vague. 
And Aristotle did it as well as anybody. And even Aristotle's philosophy has some flaws in, in how he brings out virtue. Okay, Jacob says, Hi, Ben, you've been very instrumental to me in rediscovering my belief in God. I love your approach to faith and how it's fundamental to creating a system of morality. However, a friend of mine holds the, the belief that we can create a system of morality based on the one truth that suffering exists, and therefore we should try to reduce it wherever possible. Do you believe that this concept, void of any belief in God, can create a stable society? I love everything you do. Well, this was an enlightenment project, right? So since Thomas Hobbes, there's been a project going on saying that human beings are, that, that our rights derive not from God, uh, they don't derive from nature, but what our rights really are based on is this idea that we are trying to avoid pain and suffering and to maximize pleasure. And we can build an entire system of morality around this fundamental basis. I don't think that that's correct. The reason I don't think that's correct is because we all define suffering differently, right? There, there are many decisions we make in life where we choose to suffer with the knowledge that there'll be something on the other end, or we choose to suffer because something means more to us in terms of a group identity than our personal non-suffering means to us. How, for example, if you're trying to say that you're minimizing suffering, for example, how do you build a system in which soldiers sacrifice themselves for the greater good? Right? It's very difficult to explain that, right? Altruism is difficult to explain along the lines of personal minimization of suffering and personal maximization of pleasure. And this has been an ongoing struggle forever, right? You have Kantian's golden rule on the one hand, and then you also have Jeremy Bentham's logic of utilitarianism on the other. And both of these claim that they are designed to minimize human suffering and maximize human pleasure, basically. But those are the very different realms of thought. Marxism thought that it was designed to maximize human pleasure and minimize human suffering. And that ended in the death of 100 million people. So I don't believe that pure human reason can get you there. I don't think that without a God, without a certain teleology to the universe, without trying to find out what it is that nature wants of you, uh, and, and what it is that the universe is, is demanding of you and what it is that God is demanding of you from a Judeo-Christian ethic. I don't think you can get to a full morality. The founders believe the same. Even, even Kant is based on, on the basic ideas of Judeo-Christian morality. He sort of just backdoors them into his own logic. Okay, so a couple of things I like, and then we'll do a thing that I hate, and then we'll be out of here. So things that I like today. So there's a show. This show is uh, not for the kiddies. Um, I'm not even sure it's for the adults, honestly. It's a pretty dirty show. Uh, Animal Kingdom on TNT. Um, if they could cut out all the sex scenes, it would be um, a lot shorter. It would also be better, in my opinion, because, I mean, frankly, I don't find sex scenes all that interesting because it's pretty much the same every time. But in any case, the show itself is, uh, if you like Breaking Bad, if you are into sort of crime families, Animal Kingdom is about this mother and her four sons and her grandson who are basically a crime syndicate. Uh, and it is, it's compelling. It's certainly compelling to watch. It is very purple, right? It's over the top. But it's, uh, but it's well acted and it's, and it's well scripted. Here, here's what it looks like. You're in this family now. You're going to be seeing things, hearing things that need to stay in this family. We do all the work. She controls the cash. My boys know their limits. Okay, so the, the show itself is... Uh, is very compelling stuff. It's again, it's 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 almost like a, a short form soap opera, um, and um, but it is it is not something that uh, instills a, a grand sense of morality. Right? I mean, these people are all scum. So it's a show about scummy people. So if that's your kind of thing, then uh, then you'll enjoy the show. Okay. Uh, other thing that I like. This is an actual thing that I like. So Steve Scalise, uh, who you'll remember a year ago was shot. I know how we all forgot about like a bunch of Congress people getting shot, but that was pretty horrifying, right? I mean, that was kind of bad. Uh, and uh, we sort of forgot about all of that. Anyway, Steve Scalise, the first pitch of the congressional baseball game. He's back now, and uh, you can watch him make a play. So that's pretty fun. I mean, thank God Steve Scalise is, uh, is healthy again, and that's a pretty amazing thing. So uh, we should just be grateful for that. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. So the thing I hate, number one, Brooke Baldwin uh, did a whole routine on CNN yesterday about female athletes making less money than men. And here's what it sounded like. What do Serena Williams, Danica Patrick, Lindsey Vaughn, Ronda Rousey, and Maria Sharapova all have in common? They're all badass women not on the list of the 100 highest paid athletes in the world. In fact, not a single woman is on that list. Not one. We need to start speaking up about this. We need to stand up for what we're worth. Okay, that's stupid. And I will tell you why that is stupid. The reason that is stupid is because the reason they are not on the top 100 list is because none of the sports in which they play have as high income as the comparative sports for men. Not a single woman is on that list because as it turns out, Danica Patrick, who made $10.3 million as opposed to Lewis Hamilton's $51 million, or Serena Williams' is $18 million to Roger Federer's $77 million. Okay, the reality is 
that all of these leagues earn less for women. Okay, so the Austra uh, Yahoo Sports reports that male viewership at the Australian Open eclipsed female viewership by 25%. And in general, the men's ATP World Tour events generate significantly larger audiences. According to statistics compiled by BBC, this is according to Amanda uh, Prestigiacomo over at Daily Wire, according to, uh, according to Yahoo Sports, statistics compiled by the BBC, the ATP, that's the men's tour, drew 973 million viewers in 2015 compared to the WTA's 395 million viewers. Well, it turns out if you're on a lower rated show, you get paid less. And if you're on a lower-rated tour, you get paid less. And this is true in soccer, right? Nobody watches women's soccer in, in non-Olympic years. And even during Olympic years, men's soccer gets much higher ratings. And also the women negotiate their own deals. So the point here is not that women shouldn't be paid lots of money for sports. The point is that if you are just looking at Danica Patrick versus Lewis Hamilton or whatever, I don't follow NASCAR. If you're just looking at the leading men's driver versus the leading women's driver, well, that's because the leading men's driver is in NASCAR, like she won less money because she's in the same sport and she didn't win as many races. Like, I'm not sure what the big problem was there. And Serena Williams not earning as much money because fewer people watch women's tennis than watch men's tennis, which is fine. People should be able to watch what they want. But th this is all very silly. Again, this comes down to the leftist belief that all disparity equals discrimination. And that is, of course, ridiculous. Okay. Meanwhile, one more thing that I hate. So the Democrats continue to trot forth this narrative that Donald Trump is forcibly separating families at the border. The reason, again, that Donald Trump is separating families at the border is because when you arrest people at the border, there is a law on the books that has been ensconced by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that says that children are not allowed to stay in detention. Even if their parents are there, they're not allowed to stay in detention for longer than 20 days. And so if you wish to arrest the parents, then the children have to be placed somewhere else. It is not that Donald Trump just wants these kids to go away. Now, there are people in his administration who have said dumb things. Like John Kelly said, this should be a, a way of discouraging illegal immigration is to separate kids from their parents. Well, that's kind of gross. I mean, there are plenty of ways of discouraging illegal immigration. It seems to me punishing children is not the best way to do that. But the law itself is pretty clear on this. You're not allowed to keep children in custody with their parents. So if you want to keep the parents in custody, you have to separate out the kids. Well, the Democrats, of course, have, have suggested that Trump is forcibly doing this because he hates children or some such. Uh, and the media just parroting the Democrats does the same thing. Here is Nancy Pelosi saying uh, that there should be uprisings over family separations. They're doing away with children being with their moms. This is I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. And maybe there will be when people realize uh, that this is a policy that they defend. It's a horrible thing. Okay, so then the media immediately picks up on all of this. And because the media are basically a tool of the Democratic Party, they decide that they are going to repeat the same question over and over and over. So here's Brian Karam, a CNN reporter, going after Sarah Huckabee Sanders, basically using Nancy Pelosi's language. Don't you have any empathy? Jill, go ahead. Come on, Sarah, you're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? Jill. They have less than Brian, you do. Guys, Sarah, come on. settle down. Seriously. Seriously. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you, you yell out of turn. Jill, please it's call. It's a law, and, and they have, the, these people have nothing. They hey, Brian, I know you want to get some more TV it's time, but that's that. not what it's this not is about. about. If I want to recognize you, go ahead, Jill. Okay, it is absolutely about TV time. It is absolutely about TV time, which is why he's ranting and raving on TV. Right. The, the White House, uh, there's a good case to be made that the White House press corps should submit questions in writing uh, or that at the very least that they should not televise these things live because you just have too many CNN reporters and too many reporters of all stripes who are looking for their who are looking for their payday, basically, by rip it, doing the Sam Donaldson routine. Well, I grilled the press secretary today. I'm not sure how much information that even comes from these press conferences in the first place. They just seem like a sideshow to me, frankly, because it is the job of the press secretary to lie as often as possible to the media and the job of the media to get on TV as often as possible. And none of it seems to actually be conducive to the truth in any serious way, which is why you end up with situations like this. I have to admit, I laughed. Jim Acosta, who's just awful at CNN, their White House reporter, he also goes after Sarah Huckabee Sanders and, uh, and she's finally had enough. I can say that uh, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Uh, that is actually repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. Well, However, Bible this, uh, hold on, Jim, if you'll let me finish. Uh, again, I'm not going to comment on the attorney-specific comments that I haven't seen. That's not what I said, and I, I know it's hard for you to understand. Um, even short sentences, I guess, but and please don't take my words out of context. But the separation of illegal fam alien families is the product of the same legal loopholes that Democrats refuse to close. And these laws are the same that have been on the books for over a decade. And the president is simply enforcing them. Okay, so I, I, <laughs> Jim Acosta deserves that one. Okay, just to, good for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Jim Acosta, man, the, the, the grandstanding 
from the podium from people like Acosta is really egregious. Okay, so we'll be back here next week. Uh, we have we have a lot to talk about then. Also, make sure that you tune into our Sunday show as well because we have Michael Shermer on it. It's a really great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you like all the talk about God and free will and and reason, then please check it out. Uh, we are the we 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 love having you. We love having you subscribe. So please do that as well. And we'll see you here on on Sunday, and then we'll see you here on Monday. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Ingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 